0: Famous atheist professor Richard Dawkins was once asked by a student what the meaning of life was from an evolutionary worldview. His answer quite shocking. He responded to this young girl by saying, one thing to say is that the universe doesn't owe us any meaning. It could be that there is no meaning of life. And if so, that would be just tough. Wow. This is very similar to something he said elsewhere when discussing the nature of the world we live in. He said, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind." pitiless indifference. Well, this, of course, is one way to answer the question, does life have a purpose? No. But I think many find this lacking. And they find it lacking because they know, deep down inside, this constant nagging feeling that life is It's much more meaningful, much deeper than simply what we can create out of it ourselves. That is to say, what makes love lovely? Why is there such a thing as beauty? Why is there something rather than nothing? What makes life meaningful? The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes had many of these very same questions. He was dealing with an existential crisis. And in his journey for discovery, in his dealing with that innate knowledge, that constant nagging feeling that he had, he penned these words. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity. In the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You see, my hope and my prayer today is that as we look to the Creator to determine why we were created, that is, the intention in our creation, we will discover together that there very much is a purpose to life. My prayer is that we will find like many faithful men of the past that the chief end of man or that is the purpose of life you could say is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our theme this morning is God created us in his image to worship him and to be with him forever. God created us in his image to worship him And to be with him forever. We're going to look at three things this morning. Number one, created in his image. What does that mean? What does that entail? Why is that important? Number two, created to worship. What is worship? What does that look like? What does that mean? Is the eternal state going to be one huge long cottage grove Christian Reformed Church worship service what we're talking about? Or number three, created for fellowship, created for communion, created to be with, right? And in order to look at these things, we're going to be examining what might be the most important three chapters of the Bible concerning the purpose of life or the origin of our creation or another way of saying it. Why is it exactly there is something rather than nothing? Why is it exactly we have been created? And that is Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I know it seems like quite a long passage, but we'll read it all together. And then as we go through, I'm going to select important scripture verses or portions of it for us, okay? And of course, this is found on page 1 of your pew Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation. "...seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds." And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed, according to their kinds, "...and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds." And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, "...let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years." And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening. There was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water... Team with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water and the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth, and there was evening, there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And these next few verses are important, so pay attention. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was, very, and, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Bishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the uh, Tigris. It runs along the east of the Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh. Of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I'm going to leave chapter 3 for a later point. What do we have here? We have here a very, very important part of the Scriptures because it tells us that the reason there is something rather than nothing Is because there is a God. There is a God. There is a creator. There is a purpose. To the reason. That the earth, the universe, all that we see is here. And we find it here in the first few chapters of the scripture. Now the first aspect That is important for us to get. Is that in the description of creation. There is one unique creature. That is distinguished from all other creatures that God has made. And that is. Man. Us. Those of you who are seated here today. If you noticed. That of all the creatures, only man, we're told, is created in the image of God. Of all the creatures, only man, we're told, is not only created from the dust, but that God breathed the breath of life into him. That is to say, in a very real sense... That God created this world uniquely as a realm, as a place in which He could create man in His image. In which man could live and breathe in a way that serves God. Glorifies God. That God created all that we see so that we... Could enjoy Him in it. You see the purpose behind that. You see the purpose of being made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God is not simply a theological term that we can plug meaning into, it means that each and every one of us as human beings have value, have worth. It means that there was purpose in us having life. It means the fact that we're here rather than not here, that we're alive rather than not, not alive, the fact that we have social security numbers and identification is meaningful because we're made in the image of God. And that image means that God created us that we may know Him. Animals can't know God. They can't worship God. They can't speak to God. Animals don't have a conscience like us, knowing right from wrong. We have been uniquely created to have fellowship with God, to know Him and adore Him and love Him. But how do we get that from this? How do we get that from this, these chapters, Genesis 1, 2, 3? Well, we get it, interestingly enough, in the fact that we see God says it's not good for man to be alone makes the woman for companionship, for fellowship, that there was something lacking in the Garden of Eden. We often see the Garden of Eden as paradise. It's perfect. It could not be better. But God, very importantly, tells us that it's not good for the man to be alone and that of all the creatures that God had made, there was none that fit with him, so that woman was made. But, Carrie, didn't you say that God created us for fellowship with him? So why isn't that a man needed a woman if he had fellowship, perfect fellowship with God? Here's where, here's where it comes in. Because there was a promise, there was a promise held out to Adam that if he was faithful to what God had said, to that is, eat whatever you want in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That if Adam was obedient, To that law, that God would grant him consummate, complete, full, perfect fellowship with him and let him partake of the tree of life in a way in which Adam would then be free from even being able to sin. What does it say here? It says here in the Word of God that you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam was created in God's image, Adam was created for worship. Adam was created for fellowship. Adam and Eve were created for all these things. We were all created for these things. Created to worship. Where do we see that here? Created to worship because God put Adam in the garden to work it and take care of it. To work it and take care of it. That is to say that the fact that this whole world was created and that Adam was given the job, the duty, to work and take care of it shows us That the way we consider, the way we think of worship is often short-sighted. Imagine what the Word of God says, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Yes, there is a sense in which there's a formal worship service. But there's also a sense in which all that we do, all the things in our life, all the food that we eat, all the things that we enjoy, every breath we take, is meant to be a worshipful expression to God. That is to say that when Adam was in the garden, and he was working it, and he was guarding it, protecting it, when he was working, see, many of us today think the fact that we have to work is a result of the curse, But that's not what God's word says. God's word says Adam was instructed to subdue it, to work the garden before sin entered. Work is good, then. It's made difficult by sin. Work is good, it's made difficult by sin. Our calling, our vocation, what we do, It is a worshipful expression to God. That is to say that God was pleased when the world was was without sin and Adam and Eve worked in the garden. That that was worship. And one could even say that as we look into the future and the new heavens and the new earth, we will work. But our work will be a joyful, worshipful expression to the Lord and all that we do. So we were created in His image. We were created to worship. We were created for fellowship. I already spoke about this a little bit. But the idea here is that the Garden of Eden was an opportunity for Adam to be faithful. And upon that faithful obedience, Adam would have been granted true and lasting fellowship with God. And that's why I want to turn to Genesis chapter 3 at this time. Because where we're at now is not the accomplishment of that, but the failure of that. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains and childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So here we are, east of Eden. Here we are, kicked out of the garden. We see in chapter 3 that that worship, perfect, without sin, that fellowship, that communion, The God had created us for is now lost. And even that image that God created us in is not destroyed, but it is distorted. The curse has come upon us. We We, whom God has created us in His image, to worship Him and to be with Him forever. How can we do that now? How can we have that now? How can what we lost be restored? Not only restored, but even greater. How can we go from a garden to a city? How can we gain what we've lost now that we have fallen into sin? How can the image of God that we were created in be restored? How can the worship that we were called to give to God perfectly be restored? How can the fellowship, the communion, that we were meant to have with God forever be restored. There's two things that we're told in Genesis chapter 3 that point us in the right direction, that point us that the purpose for our life is seen in the image of God, is seen in the fact that we're created to worship, is seen in the fact that we're created for fellowship, is not lost. We should not be disillusioned. We should not think that now there is no hope. Because in Genesis chapter 3, the first person that God curses is not Eve. It's not Adam. It's the serpent. The devil. Satan himself, our great enemy. And he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you. Between your seed and the seed of the woman. What is this? Seed of the woman that we are to expect shall come against Satan, our great enemy. Maybe we see a glimpse of it. A glimpse of the covering of our sin that we shall receive when we're told in verse 21 of chapter 3, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Almost as if to say, The fig leaves aren't enough, Adam and Eve. Blood is necessary. An animal must be slaughtered. Skins must be made. Blood must be shed to cover your shame. To cover the sin that you have brought into this world. Each and every one of us have been affected by the fall of our first parents in the garden. But that hope which is left out for us, that hope which is given to us, that the purpose of our life to be worshiping God, to glorify Him and to enjoy communion, fellowship with Him forever is found. It's found in Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman that would come. Is found in Christ who came, as the New Testament tells us, the image of the invisible God. He is the exact imprint of God's divine nature. Christ is the image of God restored, who in Christ, Christ, in his life and ministry, perfectly glorified the Father, worshiped the Father perfectly, who in coming to this world and being incarnate of of the Virgin Mary, gave up His perfect and eternal fellowship with the Father and the Spirit to accomplish in His death, burial, and resurrection the eternal fellowship of all those who have faith in Him. It is in Christ that the image of God in us is restored. It is in Christ that we... Finally and completely, once again, perfectly worship and glorify the Father. Because He did. And it's in Christ, in faith in Him, that we once again have the communion and fellowship that we had with God and that we will have forever. Does life have a purpose? my instruction to all of you is that you you seek to know the meaning of life and the purpose of life. You must first know why you were created. And as we've looked at God's word this morning, you were created in his image to worship him and to have eternal fellowship with him forever. And the only way you can have that this side of the garden is in the perfect, righteous work of Christ. Does life have a purpose? Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Put your faith in the second Adam. Put your faith in the coming Messiah who died for us, who was risen for us. And who now forever sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Who is the image of the invisible God. Who is the perfect worshiper of the Father. And who in his complete work has brought all those who believe in him once again that eternal fellowship with God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. For your word, we thank you that we are not left without hope, that we should not be disillusioned, but know that you have created us for a purpose and that in your son, Jesus Christ, we have that purpose restored once again. Father, we long for the day that we will worship you in eternity, perfectly and without sin, and that we will have fellowship with you For all of time, we know all this is possible only because the work of your son Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.